This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Baum, and if it is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 117, and my guest this week is Brian Garris of the band Knocked Loose. Uh, I had never met Brian until this summer. Um, we have a ton of mutual friends. We circled each other, certainly. Um, but we were both on a festival in Europe together and I made a mental note. I was like, I'm sure we're going to cross paths. We're both on this fest today. Um, I'm going to make a note to reach my hand out, shake his hand, introduce myself, blah, blah, blah. So as I'm walking by him, I stopped to do it and he looks at me and he goes, I was going to do the exact same thing. It's so nice to meet you. And, uh, and so the, that perfectly led us to this conversation. Um, this happened a couple months ago at this point. Um, Knocked Loose are currently on tour in Europe. It looks like they are in Madrid, Spain tonight. And uh, their tour wraps up December 10th in Hamburg. Brian actually just wrote a really touching post on his Instagram the other day um, about some realizations he's had while on this tour he's on and not taking things for granted. And it, it, was, a, it was a really nice read. Um, I would like to direct you to that if, uh, if you haven't seen that. It's, um, it's really nice put and really, uh, I don't know, it leveled me out because I'm currently on tour right now. I'm coming to you from a quality inn in Mansfield, Ohio. Tonight we played in Columbus. Uh, we had to quickly rush to book a couple shows. Uh, the Menzingers had to postpone a couple dates due to an illness within their group. Uh, but we all... We, we we get back together right after uh, right after Thanksgiving. Um, so if you are hearing this here on Wednesday, the tour picks up this Friday with two nights at Union Transfer in Philadelphia. Then we're going to be at Cat's Cradle in Carborough, North Carolina. Then uh, Tipitina's Uptown in New Orleans, followed by a show in Dallas at Amplified Live. That's on uh, November 30th. And then starting in December, we're playing three nights in Colorado, starting with Colorado Springs at the Black Sheep December 2nd, uh, the third at Washington's in Fort Collins, and then the fourth in Denver. Then we head to California, baby. December 6th, Santa Ana, we're playing at the Observatory. December 7th, we're at the Observatory North Park in San Diego. Uh, the eighth, we are going to be at the Belasco in Los Angeles again. Oh my God. It feels like that's the only, that's the only place we play these days. Uh, but we're going to be there again. 
And then the tour ends uh, with the last two shows being Sacramento at Ace of Spades, which is a really cool small venue. I'm excited to be back there. And the last show is December 10th at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. We've been out for like, we're going to be, ha- at that point, we'll have been out for a little over two months uh, from the Coheed Thrice Tour in Europe straight to this. It's fucking cold, people. It is very, very cold here in the Midwest. I uh, My hat's off to people. Uh, who uh, deal with this year round? It's crazy. It's it's uh, it's not comfortable. Let me tell you. Um, <clears throat> what else is up? Oh, I want to mention if you're new here, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you go to Patreon.com/slash the first ever Patreon, where Brian answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. That is the thing that happens here. If you're, uh, if you've, if like I said, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, the Patreon has all that. There's a ton of bonus episodes for nearly every single episode we've had here. Um, you can submit questions to upcoming guests and so on. Bonus radio hours, lots of fun stuff, a Discord channel, blah, blah, blah. I'm currently doing a tour journal, but I'm being really poor at updating it. A huge update is coming soon. I'm hoping that me saying this into a microphone will give me accountability to have it up and caught up this week um but that's it uh that's all i got to report um i'm having a nice time and uh, i really appreciate everybody who has come out to this tour uh let me know that they listen to the show that really 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 means a whole lot so thank you so much for the kind words and um i hope to see you on the road without further ado here is my conversation with brian garris of knocked loose What's up, Brian? It's nice to see you. How are you? Good, man. Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, you said you mentioned uh, you're leaving on Monday. So where where actually are you heading out to play shows too? Because I th- I saw you guys have some shows coming up. Yeah. So we did like we're on we're technically on tour with uh, Suicide Boys, and we did like the first two weeks. And then we had to leave because we did um, like a festival in Canada called Wild Rose. Oh, right. And then from there, we we came back here for a couple of days. And then tomorrow we fly to Philly to start the the last half of the Suicide Boys tour. That's, that tour seems kind of hard to manage if you're in the band position because like it seems like it's like a it's like a lot of different shows but very spread apart right is that like difficult to sort of um figure out how to make it work for you guys when you got the offer i i feel like it was very like i feel like the tour to me was very um intimidating just because we had never done a, a rap tour we're the only band on the tour we've played like rap shows but we've never actually done a full tour so i just like I had no clue how it was going to go. Like, I was just, I don't know how different it could be. But then you show up and you're like, oh, it's just a show. Like, you load in like normal, you sit in your green room and then you play. And like, everybody, we were in this weird position where being the only band, it kind of made the entire package like super fascinated with us. Because I feel like some of the people on the tour had like truly never seen anything like it. Right. And we were playing third and we had a 10 minute changeover. Oof. And like for a rapper with like one microphone and one DJ, like 10 minutes is easy. But we're thinking like all of our gear and stuff. So like going into it, it was very intimidating, but they were super accommodating. And like we basically just built our entire stage and 
it was on risers that had wheels and we just oh, rolled great. it on plugged it yeah. in and went so um yeah it was i feel like i built it up to be this crazy thing and then you show up and it's like super relaxed and if anything more if anything easier because this is our first arena tour mm. so when you play arenas like you don't even load your own gear and like you just go to catering and you have three meals a day and (laughs) super nice rooms and like so yeah it's been super interesting but but a lot of fun uh i'm sure also in the back of your head you knew that turnstile did a tour with them so you're like okay like they got through they obviously had a good time like yeah we that that at least like gives you the buffer of knowing that like it's gonna go okay yeah i went i went to uh i saw vane last night here in la and uh my girl and i were like commenting on how much like just sort of the audience how there's a good portion of the audience that you look at and you're like i don't know that these kids would consider themselves hardcore kids that are at the show it's just like this genre has sort of moved into just kind of youth culture as a whole you know so with that being said like if there's people at that show that maybe are unfamiliar with who knocked loose is you guys are making a kind of music that they can get excited about you know what i'm saying that it's just like seeing an aggressive thing and seeing people react aggressively it just it uh it it's not foreign to them you know like it's something that excites them we've been yeah and to, to your point like we've been recently trying um a lot to do like more mixed bill things and and we always kind of have but when it comes to like headlining within the last year we've started introducing like uh more like unique lineups and stuff that's like a little bit more diverse based off of our like own personal interests and like we just did shows in the uk with choir boy and oh right and and that like obviously sounds nothing like us but people ask me like how did that go how did that go and i was just saying like how many people do you know that only listen to screaming music you know what i mean like nobody nobody just listens to that especially like nowadays like everybody just listens to everything so i feel like the mixed bills i feel like when i started going to shows mixed bills were super common and then for a while it kind of like died down and I feel like it's coming back and, and I'm really excited about it because like as an individual, I listen to every single kind of music. And when we like put it in the context of Knocked Loose, like doing something like Choir Boy that I'm such a big fan of and it working the way that it did, I was like, I kind of was like, damn, we could do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some, you know, there's something to be said, I feel like also, you know, it's that festival mentality as well, where if a band like yours, band like mine, um, happens to be the, the oddball on it, going into it, it always feels a little intimidating, but that sonic change can completely make a difference in what people are going, you know, experiencing. Like, yeah. you know, bands like ours get put on in, you know, like kind of sometimes more indie leaning festivals or something like that now and again, where you're just like, you know, this might be tough. I don't know that there's as many people here who want to just have me yelling at them for the next, yeah. for like 25 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever it is. Um, but you, you sense that sonic change, you know, like there's been times where we've been put on festivals in Europe that are like, just we're in between death metal bands and where I'm just like, we're going to get eaten alive. But then it just, it works. It's like totally, yeah. 
it's totally fine and i appreciate that you guys did like that uh that taking like choir boy out i'm with you like mixed bills coming up was always one of the most exciting things to see and it does also expose maybe there are the young kids that are at your show that they're at that point in the life where they found hardcore and maybe hardcore is the only thing that they're li- really listening to. Cause that's like the thing that really excites them at that moment. Yeah. Um, exactly. And then they see choir boy and they all of a sudden are open to it and it, yeah. you know, makes them want to check them out. It, exactly. And like with these rap shows, like I feel like those kids just want to, uh, to go crazy and like push pit. So like yeah. when they see an actual band, like, they like can't believe it and and with with us like bouncing around like i love being like the oddball on a bill and with us doing the the different kind of touring that we do i always just have to learn to talk to the crowds and Mm -hmm. because it's not the same and and like you've done it like you can't talk to those European festival crowds the same way as you would talk to a crowd at like chain reaction. You know what I mean? Like they, they just don't react the same. So like it's been unique learning how to exist in these different worlds. And like something that I would ask on the suicide boys tour is, uh, I would be like, raise your hand if this is your first time ever seeing a band. And like so many people in the crowd would raise their hand. And, and, and that's like, to you and me like that's so crazy but like these are i mean i'm I'm assuming like fairly young people that are like just into like rap music and like what what they hear on tiktok or mainstream music so like i just had to learn how to talk to them and how to to get to them and and you would see some people like change their mind throughout which is always like the coolest thing because like we did a tour with gojira and we were like well, they're metal and like we're metal, it'll work. But then something I didn't take into consideration is they're like big brain metal. It's like, (laughs) it's like super like technical and, and mathy at times. And, um, so there's definitely a major, like a, a portion of their fan base that is there for like the technicality and their music, which we just do not have. We're very like, simple and like we're not trying to like reinvent the wheel at all so like there would be people in the crowd like it's funny because i've been i've gotten the like crossed arm weird looks from like different kinds of people but never in like the the metal world and that was a first it's like seeing guys in my sugar shirts just like this is too simple and right but but you would watch them kind of like I remember one show in particular, there's like this older guy, like bald gray goatee front row crossed arms the entire show. And one of our last songs starts off with like a very, very like metal, like Slayer riff. And it, and as soon as we hit that, I was like, put your fucking horns in the air. And this guy just like erupted, like just something clipped clicked in his head and he just decided to like it at that he heard that riff and it was just (laughs) over for him and i love i love watching people like come around to it um that's awesome it's funny we randomly did two shows with gojira in uh it was just literally gojira and touche in like spain or portugal or something like that a couple years ago and we were so intimidated as soon as we saw the drummer had drum gloves we're like oh we're in trouble yeah (laughs) 
Dude, he is a monster. He is a monster. At, uh, sweetest dudes ever. So, yeah. so, so kind. But uh, yeah, we we were like, I don't know how this is going to go. And sure enough, when we played, it was just, yeah, people just staring at us kind of. Yeah. Kind of like when you, you know, like when your dog does the head tilt at yeah. you. You know, it's like, I don't know why this is in front of this band. But yeah. uh, what I was going to say is as front people, uh, it sounds like you do this too, where you if you're specifically for supporting a show, you'll find those people in the audience when you're playing where you can't not keep checking in on what's going on with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you try to focus on if you get a pocket of kids that are like down and interested and that kind of becomes the safe space where you're like, okay, I have, we have our pocket. We have our people that are interested. Yeah. That's my safe space. But then while you're performing, you're like, you look over and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to get that guy. Yeah, like yeah. I'm going to, I got to, I got to keep working. And sometimes that guy wins and just yeah. doesn't give it to you the whole time. Absolutely. <laughs> but, it, but it becomes a battle, an inner battle between the two of you that like, yeah. I'm going to fucking get you. I swear yeah. to God. We did, um, we did a day to remember. Uh, uh, and that was like another situation where we were obviously like the oddball on the tour. It was like a, uh, Boston Manor opening, then us, and then a day to remember. So, like, the entire tour, except for us, is very, like, poppy. And yeah. um, and that was one where I would say that it was the closest that we've ever been to being, like, straight up heckled. Oof. And, and um, like, obviously, like, I've played plenty of shows. I'm not going to, like, be upset if everybody, like, if not everybody likes it, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. it was such a weird feeling to be playing because like a day to remember is massive like the first day was like cleveland ohio to like 6500 people and it's so like it's so weird to to play to that size of audience and only notice the people that hate it right yeah and like there was a day when i was like how's everybody doing and like this person in the front row was just like thumbs down, like shaking their head. No. And I was like, man, you're the only person I see. And, and I would always end our set with like, uh, thanks. We're knocked loose. We'll see you next time. And this guy went, no, you won't. Oh <laughs> my God. Like, oh. And, and let me say that like the tour was amazing for us. It was sure. like, it was 95% great, but like that 5% was just like people that were there for, the big acoustic a day to remember song that just like couldn't believe us and they just fucking hated it but but it was fun yeah that speaks to uh how i think a lot of us i mean it's an unfortunate circumstance but i feel like it takes it it uh, it speaks to that thing where you put out a new song and the comments are 95 percent the most positive this rocks you guys rule but it's the five percent that you notice it's the five yeah. percent where people are not feeling it or wanting to be mean for no reason absolutely uh obviously the show is all about first experiences and things like that so um you're from louisville originally right like is that yeah. the, the hometown yeah. for is Born that the, are you guys all yeah is the whole band uh our drummer is originally from jacksonville florida but he moved to louisville I think he was in like ninth grade. Like he was like a freshman in high school. I think he moved to Louisville. So like, um, but everybody else, yeah, Louisville born or raised. I have such love for 
the music that come has come out of Louisville. Like there's so many bands that I feel like especially there was a there's a couple year period where there was like so much magic coming out of there. Um bands like Breather Resist, yeah. bands like Codon Armada, um uh, obviously like anything Ryan Patterson does is has always been really awesome. I uh I see your giant wall of records behind you and I was definitely going to talk about that at some point um cuz I'm like a huge record guy as well and I like it's super niche but probably helps me when it comes to spending money but I anything from Louisville I collect. Is that right? So, yeah, so like I have a lot of which is cool cuz like nobody cares so it's like $5 for an LP but um yeah I so all that stuff I've like I've done as much research as I can about it growing up did you go to shows at uh Skull Alley uh all the time yeah Yeah. that like the spot it was uh I would say for me a big spot when I started going to shows was this spot called Bulldog Cafe that was like further outside of Louisville in uh Fairdale Kentucky uh but I went to Skull Alley as well um and I got to play Skull Alley a couple times and um or like Headliners Music Hall. That was like a for like bigger shows. Uh bigger like metal shows. It's at the time I thought it was like the biggest venue in the world, but like looking back and like now that Knocked Loose has played it, it's like I think it's like a six hundred cap, six fifty. Um sure. but that's actually where I went to my first show ever. Um which was Suicide Silence um, at Headliners. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was, a, that was, because that's one of the questions I ended up asking. So we could just, I mean, we could just uh, step on that a little bit early. So you the first show you ever went to, what that was like it, like first concert, first everything, it was that show. Yeah. My mom had, my parents were always like pretty lenient, but for some reason they just had this idea that like shows were insane and, and they were like scared for me to go. And when I was, so in, I'm from Oldham County, which is like 30 minutes outside of Louisville. Um, and we used to have a venue there when I was like, maybe like middle school, like just discovering like heavier music. And they would do punk shows every weekend. And there was like a small like group of like punk guys in Oldham County that like skateboarded and they dressed cool and like every single one of them had a different punk haircut like the mohawk the liberty spikes like whatever and i remember their band was called uh porn with a plot (laughs) yeah and and, uh they would they would draw their own flyers and they sounded like the casualties and i was just i thought it was the coolest thing ever because as i'm discovering it i realized that it's like right here in my hometown and they would play this venue called Twice Told, and they would straight up play there like every Friday. And it was just like a teenage hangout. So I like took this flyer home to my mom, and she saw that they were called Porn with a Plot, and she was like, no way. Right. Yeah. yeah so it's a tough I, sell. I, yeah, I couldn't actually go. So I, so I finally got my mom to agree to let me go, and it was to see Suicide Silence. And she said that like the rule was that she had to go with me so she just kind of like chilled in the back and watched from afar and basically just made sure that like i wasn't 
doing drugs or something, I guess. I don't know. Of but course. she literally took me to that one and she was like, oh, this is fine. Like, you're good to go. And I, from there, I just went to as many as I could. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, the you know, the first question I usually ask people, so I'm curious if it has anything to do with the style of genre is, uh, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house, but something that you uh, heard and kind of gave you a sense of identity. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, when I like discovered heavier music, I found it through like my aunts, like my mom's sisters, because like music is through my entire family. And I had a cousin who played guitar in like a metal band. And um, his, my aunt was like a huge like metalhead. So I was introduced to like System of a Down, Corn, Slipknot, like the big ones. And then my other aunt at the same time like saw that I was showing interest in this. So she showed me like punk. Um, like black flag and i remember she showed me like the descendants and um so i feel like when i started diving in i was just getting anything that i could and it, it ranged from like punk to death metal and everything in between and at the time there was like uh headbangers ball every mm-hmm. saturday and and i would watch it with a notebook i'd like dial up internet so I would watch it and I would write down any song that I thought was cool. And then I would spend like the week re- like downloading it. But I would say that when I went home, I went and stayed with my aunt for a little while. And it just like she showed me the the music and it just changed everything. And then I went home and tried to find it on my own. And um, that era is when I would say I really started finding things like for myself. and And it was like it was so exciting in the way that it was accessible, like being on TV, um, like bands like under oath and like just, and, and hate breed like bands like that would. So I would, uh, I would say that like, I remember an under oath music video. And that was like at the time, the heaviest thing I had heard. Cause I was listening to like system of a down. Sure. And, and then also like, black flag but then hearing under oath i was like this is similar enough but different and it like you said it kind of felt like mine you know what i mean and yeah 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 then i could take that to my friends and like show them and and at the same time i was finding a whole new group of friends that had these similar interests literally just based off of like uh, one of my best friends in the world i'm still friends with him like i I became friends with him just because the way that he dressed we were in seventh grade and uh, he had a mohawk and I was just like, you like this music, right? And he's like, yeah, and we're still friends to this day. Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. 
what are you forgetting so i know you have brothers that also play music are you the oldest i am the oldest yeah okay so were they uh getting interested in what you were listening to like trying to play catch up or were you kind of showing them stuff along the way uh they weren't really it was it's honestly like so my my brothers are my best friends in the whole world and and like i know a lot of people say that like oh they're my family they're my best friends but they're like legitimately my best friends um and i i credit a lot of that to music because like so dallas is my middle brother and i feel like we like um just butted heads like siblings do until he was 11 or 12 and i just invited him to a show i was like do you want to come with me um and he was like yeah he had never shown interest in it before ever and uh he went to the show with me he absolutely loved it on the way home i was like did you have fun he said yeah i was like well you you can go to every single show i ever go to like you don't even have to ask me you've always got a spot in my car if this is something you're interested in you can go and he just never stopped going and then from there we just like started like growing a legitimate friendship and like he's toured with knock loose and and then trey my youngest brother was the same way um but a little bit later like i feel like he started to develop his own opinions and stuff and and he just was not interested in this at all and uh i would ask him like do you want to go to a show and he'd be like no so me and dallas would go and then um he was super into wrestling and god's hate and terror played uh spinelli's which i don't know if you're familiar with spinelli's but um it's like i think i know that spot it was like it's unfortunately no longer a venue but it's like a pizza place that's like a 90 cap room that is like one of the only places in Louisville for years that would do all ages like DIY hardcore shows. Okay. So like it's where my friends booked shows and um like no stage, just a small basement. And so that's a huge show to happen there. Exactly. Like it was so I I told Trey, I was like, you should come to the show one because the singer of God's hate is a wrestler and like you love wrestling. I was like, two, like terror in spinelli's is something that louisville will talk about forever so like you just need to witness it even if you don't like what it sounds like you're gonna think that it it's cool looking and he was like okay i'll go and it just clicked for him and i gave him the same spiel i was just like anytime you ever want to go you can go and and yeah now like there was a time period last year where like all three of us were on separate tours and now it's just like our life you know what i mean so like it's crazy so i know yeah i know one of your one of your brothers plays in dare what is your other what is your other brother playing i don't know if i know that dallas did merch for terror for like an entire year oh wow yeah and then he since has like slowed down on touring and um he's like super passionate about cooking so like he's actually like working at this restaurant that just opened he was like a part of their like opening so like they he got on early on and like helped them create a menu and like they just opened like i think it's been almost a month now so like he's like super focused on that um is that, out in, like, is that in louisville 
Yeah, it's in Louisville. And and he's kind of like let touring take a back seat, but um but yeah, he toured with the first time we ever took Dallas on tour, he was like fifteen years old and it was oh like a God. summer break and I was like telling my mom, like, let me take him let me take him with us and we like made him do merch. But I mean back then it wasn't even really doing merch. It was just kind of like hanging out. Right, of course. Of yeah. course. Um so did you ever I mean, I know your brother uh your brother plays drums, right? Uh in Dare. Yeah. Um did you ever play in any instruments? Did you ever try to play any instruments? Um so I originally actually wanted to be a guitar player. And like one year for Christmas I got the guitar, the little amp, a grunge pedal, and I was just like on my way, but I just like didn't have the patience for it. And uh, I feel like I have like a basic understanding of it, but I really wanted to be a guitar player until my friend, the one that I mentioned earlier that was that I've known since the seventh grade, like he's a drummer and he was jamming with some guys and he literally was like, you should scream for it. And I was like, I've never done that. And he was like, it's just screaming. And I was like, oh, OK. And so then I just like stopped playing the guitar and started screaming and um since knocked loose started i've actually been in a couple bands playing bass i'm in uh i'm currently in a band where i play bass where my brother drums it's called uh x weapon x okay yeah i um, saw that I, I i didn't know if you were singing in that no yeah so the singer of that band's like never been in a band ever but he's just like a nerdy straight edge guy that we're friends with and he was like <laughs> uh-huh. He said, I've always wanted to do a band called Weapon X. And um, like over the pandemic, we were just like, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, why not? Isaac play guitar. Trey plays drums and I'll play bass and you'll sing. But he's like never been in a band. So he was like, hey, I like need you to write the lyrics and stuff. So like (laughs) I wrote it. They wrote the instruments. And yeah, it's just like a fun thing. But but I do really like playing the bass. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Did you did you take to it pretty easily? Um, it's funny because when I first started playing bass, it was years ago, and Isaac, uh, the guitar player for Knocked Loose, he him and this other guy were gonna start a band and he was like, You could just play bass, it's just gonna be like a generic hardcore band. And I was like, Okay, yeah, like typical like friend plays the bass. And um he started writing the music for it and it was like straight up a crossover thrash band. And I was like, dude, I can't do this. And like, I tried so hard to learn it and we played a couple shows. Um, and I like, I don't think I ever really got good enough to play it, but I was like determined to. So then from there, I was in another band playing bass called Heartstopper that was just like fast hardcore like american nightmare stuff like that and um that was like a little bit harder for me but i was better at that point so then when weapon x started i mean it just is like it just rips off the first blood demo so (laughs) after playing thrash music and then like american nightmare style hardcore the first blood demo is like the easiest thing in the world (laughs) of course of course uh so you talked about how you know a friend was like why don't you just sing uh was it was that the first band that you ever did and what was the first band you ever did um yeah it was the first band i ever did and 
it was like some guys that I went to to school with, and it it kind of just like went by several different names because it was just like a garage band for a long time, and it it did eventually end up playing shows. Um, but the names were like, it's, it's super funny. It's like, um, so of the time, but like they're one of our names, one of the names were like deaf to their cries. <laughs> and another one was like through ashes, we crawl. It was just like, <laughs> yes. just like beneath the sky song titles that we are just like using is all of just, the stuff. Yeah. All of the stuff that I always point to, uh, to poison the well. As yeah. like really opening that up, like the fallen dreams of a burnt sky of Absolutely. ashes. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then I played my first show ever in 2009, uh, opening up for the number 12 looks like you. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. And that awesome. was at um that was at Bulldog Cafe that I had mentioned earlier. That band, I kind of feel like is they're like a kind of lost to time band, but the people that were into them, like, like fuck with them so hard, but yeah. like, you just don't hear a lot of people talking about them. Like, um, they had that, that first record, which almost has like elements of like, even like screamo stuff to it. Um, yeah. I remember really liking that when it came out. Cause it's also like hyper aggressive in a way that other bands kind of of that same sound like it fused like yeah like death metal tech metal and then like elements of screamo i don't know i thought i i i, I liked that first record i can't something with it's like something with a dress maybe is that i have to look this up this it's weird because like um like obviously everything always comes back around and yeah. and i've seen some bands that i feel like we're in the same like uh the same space as number 12 looks like you yeah come back around but but you're right i never see that one talked about um, yeah it's called put on your rosy red glasses god that is again yeah. very of the era yeah yeah very <laughs> just like myspace era like metalcore was yeah, just with the like with the opening track being called don't get blood on my prada shoes yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah uh god that's so funny i haven't man i'm I'm actually curious to i'm gonna revisit that later today we'll see how that holds up um anyway so what was uh what was the first time you ever recorded when i started playing with those guys the guitar player had uh garage band so we would make demos all the time but i mean they sounded like terrible and that's something that i still think about is super funny because like we were like the only band in our high school and it was like a predominantly normie high school and like a, a specific memory that i have is like showing this girl that i had a crush on on the bus our demos and she like hated heavy music so i don't know what i was thinking but paired with how terrible these demos sounded like just like yeah but the first time i legitimately recorded um was probably like maybe 2010 because like so that band was like we were all like kids so it was like let's save up to record a demo and at the time 
that was like more money than I had ever seen. So like we just played a bunch of shows with like no music out. And then we eventually recorded a demo and in like a little storage unit downtown Louisville. And um, that was really the only experience I had with a studio until Knocked Loose recorded with Will Putney. Wow. Okay. So uh, yeah, I was curious about um, even like the early Knocked Loose recordings, but actually I want to backtrack just a little bit to uh to your first show that you played i wanted to ask you actually since you were singing in that band uh do you remember what it even what you what it felt like to do that for the first time like do you remember uh like did you face the crowd did you uh you know it's it's always fun to talk to people who sing in bands about it because like i always say like until you're actually doing it like you don't know like what your body's gonna do like you don't yeah. know what your stage presence actually is you've probably thought about it but until yeah. you're like in the moment like you don't know what's gonna happen so i'm actually curious what that was like for you i would i would say that i i wasn't really i, I would say i was doing exactly what i thought i was supposed to do you know what i mean like i okay. watched so many live videos that at this point i was just like uh imitating people that i thought were sick and and it's funny looking back on it because like bulldog cafe was like a small room and like a number 12 looks like you show like wasn't insanely packed but i probably like talked to the crowd like i was playing like an outdoor european festival to <laughs> thousands of people like and I also remember a specific memory that i have is like so my adrenaline was going crazy and i was like I can't even remember. I don't know how old I was. 2009, maybe 15. Uh, and I was just like cussing up a storm. I was just like, go fucking crazy, like whatever. And I remember like an older local band like pulled me aside after and was like, you guys were really awesome, but like you got to stop cussing. Like, nobody wants to see a little kid cuss on stage. And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and and I feel like it wasn't until uh, Knocked Loose when I really started to, like, become, like, comfortable with performing, like, how I would perform. Like, even, like, even vocally, like, my past bands i was like trying to do like a bunch of fancy stuff and like i was never really really good at doing fancy stuff like low screams and high screams and blah blah like i always like felt more comfortable just like that like like what naturally came out which is what i just do with knocked loose so yeah um i also like never wrote lyrics for any bands i was in before knocked loose like i just I was so excited to do it, but but never really dove in on doing it. Like I was like, oh, I can't write lyrics, so somebody else is gonna have to. And um, and when Knocked Loose started, I had I felt like I had taken everything that I had done and been like, now I know how I want to do it. And and Knocked Loose, like the original like lineup i would say it was just me isaac and kevin our bass player just the three of us and we would we went through like 
20 different sounds because we just jammed for like a year because we, we would get together and be like, it was like whatever you were listening to that day. We're like, we should do a song like, you know what I mean? And and I remember there was like an era of Knocked Loose that just ripped off like Have Heart. It was just like, oh, really? Yeah, like super melodic, like, um, and there was also like an era of Knocked Loose that was just like super like closed casket, like the, like harm's way isolation had came out and yeah so it was just we didn't know what we wanted to do it was just fun and i was also like going to college and i was like i was sure that like my opportunity had passed so i was like this is just going to be fun like this is just for fun um and then it was much more i guess (laughs) (laughs) um what was uh so th- between the band the the band that you were in before and then knock loose starting was um had you already known isaac and uh and kevin and you guys just decided to do this new band had you played music with them before what was the- uh i had known kevin i've i technically met kevin in like elementary school um oh wow we just grew up in the same county like lived across the street from my cousin um and then I feel like we really became friends through like heavy music when we were in like early high school. So I was playing in bands and I knew that Kevin had always wanted to play in bands. And um, through a mutual friend, he had met Isaac. And when like I was out of bands and I was going to college and I was like doing what I thought I was supposed to. And um, Kevin was like, you should come meet isaac and like maybe jam with us and isaac's like much younger than we are i think he just turned 25 um so at the time he was like 13 oh jesus yeah Yeah. and 13 14 and um i remember going over there and we just like jammed for a little bit and i remember leaving and being like he's way too metal (laughs) (laughs) like i was just like yeah i don't know if i want to do this he's way too metal Um, but yeah, then he, I was friends with another band that needed a guitar player and I was like, oh, I met this kid, Isaac, and like, you all should try him out. And he actually started touring with them. He was like 15. Um, and that band kind of like dissolved around the time the Knocked Loose started and, uh, he had started another band as well called Greyhaven. Okay. Um, who's like still a band and they tour and stuff. Um, and he was kind of just like, Isaac's always been the kind of person he said that like, since he was a kid, like earliest memories of like his dad showing him Metallica, Isaac was like, this is what I'm going to do. So he started Knocked Loose and Greyhaven at the same time. And he was like, whichever one puts me on tour is the one that I will do full time. And, like, Greyhaven is actually, like, a full-time touring band now, but at the time, like, Knocked Loose got... Knocked Loose just hit the road first, and okay. he was just like, all right, I'm going to focus on this. Um, how yeah. early how early into Knocked Loose did you guys start touring? Like, what was the first tour that you guys did? So I would say that our first show is when I say the band started. It was in 2013. Uh, okay. our Our first tour was 2014. 
Um, oh, wow. Like one year later. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been uh, off the pop culture EP. Yeah. And when we started as a band, we played as much as we could. And um, and we it was funny because when we started, we we still had the mindset of like, we're going to do any kind of show that we can be on. And even on like a local level, there would be times in Louisville where we would play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because we would we would do a black metal show on Friday, a hardcore show on Saturday and a pop punk show on Sunday. Like we would just do everything. And then uh, my friend who's like a like a DIY promoter in Louisville would started hitting up friends that he had in indiana and ohio and like tri-state area and i remember he was like i got you guys a show in indiana and i was like i don't even have a car or a driver's <laughs> license yeah and, and he was like okay I'll, I'll rent one and he like rented a suv and like drove us to indiana so that we could play with like a bunch of like hardcore bands in a pizza shop and yeah. um and we just did that a lot, like starting off, like we, we, we became friends with that band left behind who was from West Virginia, which is like a four and a half hour drive from us. And they would be like, come play this VFW hall. And we'd be like, okay, we'd pack like three cars just to get there. Um, same with like Chicago. Cause that was such a, that's like the closest major city to Louisville. And, um, like Louisville's a small place. You know, so there's not mixed bills have always kind of been a thing there just because we can't really afford to like turn anyone away. So like um, I've actually said since moving out here, it's funny because you'll see somebody like completely covered in tattoos that has nothing to do with hardcore music. But in Louisville, like if you see somebody with tattoos, you know who they are because they go to hardcore shows. It's just it's much smaller. And um, so we kept that mentality of like we're going to do any kind of show and in 2014 we went on our first official tour that was like longer than a weekend and it was like uh it was like two and a half weeks and it was with uh Greyhaven Isaac's other band so we we shared a van all of us like piled into a van with all of our gear and I I doubt like I remember that tour as just being like fun and like shows getting canceled and like driving forever and like just from the first tour like I feel like I had learned so much like I grew up not traveling like I I would say that I grew up pretty like lower class and I had like I had never seen the ocean the first time I ever saw the ocean was on this tour um so it was just like that I was like, yeah, I'm not going back to college. Like, I'm doing this. How long was it? The that tour? Yeah, like two and a half weeks. Okay, okay. And, and so you mentioned you got to the ocean. So I'm assuming East Coast. Yeah. So it was like uh, Southeast, like it did Southeast. F- okay. Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, the Carolinas. Yep. The Virginias. Um, and it was just like so fun. And and it's funny because like I still have friends that I made on that tour, you know? Like th- that the people you meet on your first tour are going to be your friends forever. Yeah. Like I remember we were in uh Florida 
and um we had a show cancel because i mean like touring back then i'm as i'm sure you know like promoters are just like oh i'm not gonna be able to pay you so the show's canceled <laughs> and like so we had a show canceled so we just went to the beach and this guy ended up like messaging our facebook or something and was like i'm having a house show um you all can hop on and it was funny i remember every single member of my band and gray haven got sun poisoning because we went to the beach for like six hours and like we were just having the time of our lives but then we went to this house show just miserable just like red and it was in like this guy's backyard and we were just like sitting there waiting to play and then the band before us the cops came and shut the show down so we just like loaded back into the van and but but the guy whose house we played like i still see him at shows like we still follow each other like we still know each other and i love that what yeah what part of florida was it uh jacksonville jacksonville got it yeah Yeah. that's awesome and Uh, then from there i would say so that was us sharing a van with gray haven i would say that was like late summer maybe august we got our own van shortly after we were just like we got to do this and we bought like a van from a church for like 1200 bucks and we started tour we we did our our next tour in uh november of 2014 and i remember day one the band that we were supposed to tour with unfortunately had to drop the entire tour oh shit so we were like we're just gonna keep going and we just did the whole tour by ourselves and it was like dead of winter like snowing every day and and still to this day, for some reason, I feel like winter tours are more fun. I don't know. Like, it just, it it forces you to spend as much time together as possible because you, every, it's freezing. So you're just cramped up in the van together. Yeah. Um, and that tour was like one of my favorites. Like, just the band, like, no merch guy. Like, we were a four piece at the time. And, um, I- it's funny. I'm thinking about that comment about uh, winter tours. I I I agree with you, especially because there are gonna. There's certainly gonna be moments where everybody is not laying down. Everybody has their seatbelt on, and everybody is just hoping that you're gonna make it through a very icy part of the United yeah. States. And you're all throwing all caution to the wind. I mean, certainly, anytime you have to come in or out of Denver during a snowy season even you know it doesn't matter at what point in your career you're you're uh you're spitting in god's face for for that entire drive (laughs) like here we go testing the limits you know it'll truly bring you closer together (laughs) absolutely absolutely there was one tour where um it was uh february of 2014 i believe and uh it was like a drive that was supposed to only be seven hours turned into like a 15 hour drive because of the amount of road closures and whatever. And there was a point where we had, cause we ended up having to take the Rockies um, to get out. And we were just following a semi truck that had a trailer on the back that we basically, the only thing we can see was the lights on his trailer. Oh, that was great. the, cause like, so like that was the lantern basically just guiding us through and every yeah. corner we would turn there'd just be another jackknife 
like semi on the side of the road like it was so fucked up like it was so so fucked up but we talked about i mean you know to this day that that gets talked about probably once every once a year like remember the lantern absolutely and and from from there we literally toured as much as we could like starting in 2015 i think that we toured every single month that year except for two months oh wow and it was literally like you'd be on a tour and you'd play with a local band that you thought was dope and you'd be like you guys are sick do you want a tour and they'd be like yeah and then you would just start putting it together and yeah i remember days being like hey if you like what you hear the flyer for our next show here is over there on the wall. We'll be back in two weeks on a different tour. And, <laughs> and circling back to your point, like we still talk about that. And I, and I always say like, you don't talk about the tour days where you're like, yeah, we loaded in at two and had a sound check at three and then sat in the green room for six hours and then played a show. Like you talk about like, Oh, remember that time we like slept on the floor of a crack house? Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, it's, it's such a common theme here where, yeah, the, the stuff that always feels like the worst and the sketchiest and the, and the nerve most nerves and things are going wrong. Like that's always going to be the memories. Whereas, you know, like as much as I think we can, I can speak for all of us and say that like, yeah, touring comfortably is certainly a privilege where you can just have a comfortable green room and sort of have the ability to chill and, go on walks and find the things in the towns that you like and all of that. Like, but the, you don't have the same memories. Like every, yeah. it's, it feels a lot more routine. It's a comfortable routine and it's still exciting to play shows every night, of course. But like, yeah, you're, you're not walking away with the, the lifetime memories that yeah. you had on those early days. Absolutely. And it's funny because like, so now we are lucky enough to be in a position where like, um, starting last year, we like dove into like, new touring vehicles for the first time ever so like last fall we did a bandwagon for the first time and then like this spring we actually did a bus for the first time and um it's it's funny for somebody like my brother trey who just started touring and we hire him to help us like kind of just like an auxiliary hand like he's just there to do whatever we need um so his touring schedule is like he's in a van for a month and then a bus for a month and then he's back in the van and then um and it's it's like really unique to watch how he's discovering touring because like I remember touring with bands and bandwagons and sleeping on the concrete next to their bandwagon using their bandwagon as shade. You know what I mean? Like Oh my god. And now he's like bouncing back and forth and but wow. it's like Wait, so you sl- you like slept outside next to the bandwagon yeah we were on a tour with a band once that was in a bandwagon and we like drove overnight and we're getting there around like five or or so in the morning and you park in a walmart parking lot and it was yeah. like we had this was back before we took a trailer so you have two benches yeah s- uh six people in the van um so like we would use sometimes we would sleep under the van like in sleeping bags so that the sun wouldn't wake you up and i remember that day we slept in between our van and the bandwagon because the sun was coming up on the other side it's just a giant black box and i remember one time we got woken up in a parking lot because the security for the shopping center thought that 
we were like homeless. They were like, you can't sleep here. I was just like, dude, I'm in this van. Like, just let me take a nap. Like, and he was like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, you got to go. Yeah. You got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, uh, so with that, uh, the pop culture um, EP, was that your first time dealing with a, any sort of a record label? Because I saw that came out on Little Heart Records, which is a, a Louisville label, right? Yeah. So we we brought that out um, ourselves. And then through a mutual friend, they told us that um, his name was Brian Puckett, but everybody called just called him Puckett. Um, we, we heard that Puckett was interested and I had like weirdly never met Puckett. So I remember we like, you know, at the time you think it's like the biggest thing in the world. We like went out to like a lunch with him and like discussed it. And um, yeah, he was interested in the way that his label functioned was kind of just like uh, he would put money up front to help press it on CD. And at the time, like I wanted vinyl so bad, but he was just like, I can't do it. Like I can't afford it. You know what I mean? And, um, so he, it it was no like signing of a contract or anything. It was just, he paid for the CDs and, but the relationship that we built with him was like one that I'll never forget. Like I learned so much from him and just like, he did his DIY label for so long and he had learned so much that, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know how to print merch or anything. And I'm, he like introduced me to people in Louisville that printed merch. And I re- I remember like he helped me set up a big cartel and I would sit at his apartment until four o'clock in the morning, like packaging all the orders and, and sending them out. And like, um, that's always he, an exciting thing too, because it's, uh, when you're doing that really for the first time and you're seeing names and addresses of places that are not your hometown that you're sending yeah. to, you're just like, start wondering like, how did this get Absolutely. Here? Absolutely. And, and he was just a great guy. I, I remember when we started talking to Pure Noise, we were like so nervous to tell Puckett. Um, Cause we were like his babies, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um I remember we finally told him and he was just through the roof excited. He was just like this is why I do this. Like this he was like I want to be a stepping stone for bands that I'm passionate about to like if I can put in put up a little bit of money for you to be seen by somebody bigger like this is why I do this and and I'll never forget that. I something else that I'll specifically never forget when it comes to him is like when I started knocked loose, my biggest goal with knocked loose before I thought the touring was an option was to just own a CD that I made and be able to hold it. I had never done that like a real professional like CD. And, uh, he got it. He got his CDs made by this company in Nashville. And he was like, I'm going to go down, um, I'm going to go down and get the CDs. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And like, I'd, I was still like barely traveled at this point. So like going to Nashville was a road trip and we went down and we ate at a restaurant in Nashville called Puckets that, that he like, every time he would go to Nashville, he would steal something from the restaurant. So his apartment just had a shelf of all this like Puckett memorabilia, like salt shakers and stuff. Yeah. And, and then we went to the factory and we got like the box of CDs, the first ever box of CDs. And he took, 
the worst picture of me. I like looked like I had just woken up, but I'm like holding our CD for the first time. And uh, our mutual friend that like helped Little Heart a lot, he still like posts that every year on the anniversary of that picture coming up. And but um, you're like, thanks, man. Yeah, but it was like my first time being able to hold that CD in my hand, and like, um, thanks to him, yeah. Um, when that eventually got pressed on vinyl, was it through Pure Noise? Yeah. So when we when we signed to Pure Noise, we weren't really like album ready yet. Um, and they wanted to just do something to kind of like make the announcement a little bit more exciting. So they pressed it, but I, we worked it out to where like little heart was still involved because like at this point I'm like, if we're going up, so is little heart, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so like we kept like his logo on it and like split it with him and he got his own pressing and, um, and that was that was another moment, you know, like seeing our stuff on vinyl for the first time was like crazy. I was going to ask if that was the first thing that you ever had on vinyl or if it was the split seven inch, if that was the first thing. The the split seven inch was technically the first thing that we had on vinyl. And and that was um, that was like a whole nother story. That was just a friend that had like never done vinyl in his life. That was just like um, Is that the no luck records. Yeah. And yeah. he, I think that that's the only record that No Luck Records ever did. Like, I think that they were just like, it's our friend you did Ryan. A cassette with him as well, right? Yeah, uh, of the um, split. And Songs, he was just okay. like, um, yeah, he was just like, let me do this. And we were like, yeah, sure. But, and it was funny because we put up pre orders for the split, um, just being unaware of like how vinyl works. And then it took, six months or so to get the vinyl and then like people were like hitting us up and like i mean at the time you know like one comment is like the biggest thing in the world so like getting all these messages it's like where's my thing like i want a refund blah, blah. i was just like it's coming i swear like i'm so sorry and the first time that we ever got those split seven inches uh we took them on tour and uh day one of tour we were in milwaukee and i remember i just had a box of the vinyl and then I had a box of the printed out sleeves and I was just making them as people were buying them from the merch table because like we got them so last minute that it was just like throw them in the van and let's go. And like that whole tour was just like assembling, me at the assembling. merch table, like yeah. folding and like put them together and then I would like hand it out and and like awesome. I, I'll have like a variant collectors like hit me up and be like, did you know about this? color and i'm like no because like when he got it done i feel like we we requested like two different colors or whatever and then like the vinyl plant just kind of like made so many random ones so there's like oh. i think there's like four different like one of ones oh. and and i like it's like so hard to track down and like i know that like some some people there's like one one guy in in particular who runs this Instagram page called here's what's spinning or something. And he has like everything that we've ever done. And he's always just like, I saw this on the internet. Do you know anything about it? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I did not know that that existed. I didn't know there was a blue one. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, Oh my God, I can completely relate. Our first record has there. It was like exactly that kind of a thing where, you know, it was our first time ever having an LP. So we were like, yo, we want, you know, four or five different colors or whatever. So in that, though, came 
one color that ended up being sort of like whatever the transition between two colors was. So it ended up being this weird like navy blue because it was between, I think, um, gray and red or something like that. So there's like, or it could have been, I can't remember. But anyway, there's this weirdo random blue in there. And we don't know how many exist, but over the years, over the last, you know, 12 years, someone will be yeah. like, Oh, I found, you know, like I have one, I have one, I have one. So we've kind of guessed we're like, I think there's 12 of these, yeah. but yeah. it's just, it's tough to put a, a finite number on. Um, I want to ask about uh, the first time you went to Will Putney. What was, uh, how did that relationship start? Was that like a person that was recommended? Was that someone whose work you'd been familiar with? Yeah. So Tom from Straight From The Path actually um, told us about him. We did, when we were touring, I would say like 2016 maybe, we started to get hit up by like labels and managers and um, we were very like, like we've got it almost to our own fault in like some aspects. Um, but we spent like a very long time just like meeting with people and, and we did pure noise. Um, we were pretty confident early on meeting pure noise that, that we liked uh, liked them and just like liked the label and um, but with managers like we met with so many and we were just being extra careful and also like things were gradually getting better and better and better um, so at the time we were like I don't know if we really need one um, and eventually we probably did but for a long time we definitely didn't like we could we got it and but uh, Tom is one of the managers that we met because um, aside from playing in Straight From The Path, he manages a bunch of bands and um, still a really good friend of ours. But uh, I remember when we met with him, he was asking us about like if we were going to do an album and he asked if we would ever work with a producer. And Isaac was familiar with Will Putney, but I wasn't. Like I just don't know... I never looked into like producers, you know what I mean? So I remember like very naively, I was like, nah, we write our own music. <laughs> and like, he was just like, well, that's not really what a producer does. Like kind of like explained it. And um, he had sent, we had given him like a demo of like a song that ended up being on the full length. And he had sent it to Will Putney. And Will Putney was like, I really want to work with this band. And that was really exciting for us because like now like these bigger name people are like showing interest in us. And um, so we started like toying with the idea. And and once Pure Noise was on board, we like we told them that we were interested in Will. And like we I remember it was like down between um, two people, Will and somebody else. And um, we decided to go with Will just based off of his excitement for the band. Um, like ultimately we wanted to work with somebody that was really excited about the band. I know that like yeah. some producers, they clock in, go to work and totally. then leave. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah. And we're like, we're very exciting, like not exciting, but we're very excitable people. Like we're goofy and like, we love to like laugh at stupid shit. And like, we wanted that kind of atmosphere. So we went with Will and the first time we recorded with him, 
It was very intimidating, um, but so exciting. You know, it was like the first real studio I'd ever been in in my life. And um, like seeing records on the wall that we're like fans of. And um, and day one, I remember like I was just like, what is this going to be like? You know, like what is this? Is he going to come in and try to change what we are or like right. whatever? And we like sit down in his in the live room that he had and he was just like, how do you all want to do this? And we were like, I don't know. Like, we don't know. This was also the first time we'd ever recorded drums. Like the drums on pop culture and the split are programmed. Isaac just did it at his computer because. Oh, wow. Because we didn't have one. We didn't have the money to like record them too. Um, we didn't think anybody would really hear it. So it was just like, let's just write something and put it out. Um, so we were like, I don't know, like, how do you want to do this? And Will was like, uh, I want to record it live. And I feel like, like that was the very first conversation that we had with him and it just clicked. I was like, okay, he gets it. Like, uh, he, he, he wanted to like, he was like, you all are like a cool live band. Like I want to try to capture that energy. And I think that like scratching the metronome and like, and it was funny because our drummer, like when we started touring with this drummer, because um, he's not like an original member, he played to a metronome live like early on. And then when we went to Will for the first time, Will was just like, you got to get rid of it. He was like, you're chasing it. Like you're not comfortable enough to to play to the metronome. You need to focus on what you're doing rather than focus on the click. And then we recorded the entire album without a metronome and it like made him a better drummer because of it. Um, oh, that's awesome. But it just it's like, like it's, a, it's that's like the reverse of what normally happens. Yeah, exactly. So it it put it, it was just like a huge learning experience and um, just putting out a, a first LP was a huge learning experience, like with a, a real label. And like there was a lot of things that I would do differently now, you know, um, but I'm glad that, that they are the way that they are. I feel like with everything that we have, like I can listen to it and be like, wow, I was a different person. And I'm glad that I was that honest with my approach to things back then, because it's like a true reflection of like who I was at the time. And like the laugh tracks, the first LP we did, with Will, I, I think looking back on it, it's very, um, like you can tell it's a it's a first LP, and I and I don't mean that in a negative way, just because like we've learned a lot, and I still like like those songs, but there's just definitely a lot of things that I would do differently. Yeah, I think that's pretty. I think that's uh, a normal way to feel, you know. Yeah, like you do those things. Not you know, you mentioned uh having like programmed drums on that early stuff where like yeah you do things not ever expecting many people to hear it you think it's going to never really escape outside of your close friends and things like that so um even with an with a first lp though it's like with a legitimate producer it's on a bigger label all that sort of stuff like you still sort of have the mind frame uh, or the mindset that like oh this is still going to be for like a smaller group of people you know yeah. i don't know how bad this big this will actually quote unquote you know quote unquote yeah. big will actually get and and whatever else but um, there is a charm to that innocence that is audible 
when yeah. when, you, when you yourself hear that stuff. Absolutely. And like there's just <clears throat> I don't know, like I've always been a very like especially with like lyric writing, like very time and place. Um so like it it truly is like different going back and visiting any of our music because of how much I've grown or Mm -hmm. just changed as a person because like I was so young when I started writing lyrics for Knocked Loose and and even some of the earlier lyrics for Knocked Loose was stuff I wrote before Knocked Loose that I just didn't have really a band to put it to you know and um yeah it's how do you think how do you think your lyrics have changed over time and evolved oh I think that they just constantly get better really like I and the way that I write them is different like when I first started writing lyrics, I I like never wrote anything down. I would just obsess over the the demos and go over ideas until I had it memorized. And I had this like thing where I was like, if I write it down and like read it back to me like in a normal, not the the melody, I'm like, this is the corniest thing ever. So I could just not write it down because I couldn't look at it. And then uh, when we did laugh tracks, I went in there with every word written for the record when we did a different shade of blue our second lp i was like so in my head i get in my head so bad and i i had like sophomore slump like hanging over me and like just all the stuff that i shouldn't have let get to me and i went in there with not one word written and i i hear about people doing that you know like brendan from counterparts he goes to the studio and while the band's recording he spends all the time in a room locked away like writing lyrics and i've always said like i could never do that like the pressure would drive me insane but then for a different shade of blue just because of writer's block i ended up being in that situation and um luckily i had my own room in the studio to kind of lock myself away and work on it. And I would be with the band all day, like doing pre-pro or like watching them track drums. Like I try to be as hands-on as I can. So, and then at night, Will would go home. I would go to my room, lock myself away and I would just blare the songs and, and write. And it was like, it's weird. And like, maybe you can relate to this, like being a singer. Um, It's weird how like such a, dark thing can can be such a good memory because like i'm i'm focusing on these lyrics and i'm and it was so therapeutic for me to just like really sit down and focus on this like it was homework like i'm like okay now i have to do something and pulling a lot of stuff out of me that i don't know if i was ready to talk about and it was so rewarding that like I look back on it as being like a very creative time. But at the time I was like going through it, you know, like locking myself in a room, writing lyrics until like 4am, like listening to, I remember, I remember I listened to the EP nocturnal by the band, the midnight, um, Mm -hmm. like every day. And it's just like weird, like electronic eighties, like synth pop. And I'm just like blaring it, like trying to write lyrics for Knocked Loose. Um, but I got it done. And and 
like the last song that I wrote for a different shade of blue was the song guided by the moon, which like may be lyrically the most important song to me. And a lot of, uh, a lot of a different shade of blue is kind of centered around loss. So guided by the moon was like, like I can't write one song about a person I've lost. Like, how do you sum that up in one song? So, so a different shade of blue was kind of just like, I mean, guided by the moon was kind of just like notes that I had taken, um, about specific people, you know what I mean? So I might be able to look at one lyric and be like, this is about this person, but this lyric, the next lyric is about somebody else, but it's all kind of centered around loss. And I remember that that was like, a song that I had written before I had put it to music and normally I'd do it the opposite. And I was playing guided by the moon and I started like reading it along and it just kind of like naturally fit. And I just like started crying and I just like sat there at the computer and I was just like crying and it was just like one, like I was done with the record Two, this song was like exactly what I wanted it to be. And, uh, and now like long story short, now that's just kind of how I go into writing. Like when we did the EP, I didn't write a lyric until I went to the studio and then I would just be like, all right, I'm going to be up here in this room writing lyrics. Like nobody bother me. And yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, I'm in, I'm, I'm impressed with that ability to do that. I, I mean, it also sounds like it, it's not an easy choice for you either because you are, you know, it's like you do have to obviously produce something. Writer's block is a terrible thing and, yeah. and all of that. Um, also, it's like you're, you have an, you must have an innate ability to trust the songs too, because I know, for instance, like when Touche's writing stuff, um, I'll, you know, voice memo the music that we're writing at practice and things like that. And then, I'll start writing and I'll realize like, oh, I need to, you know, we need to shorten this part or we need to only do this this many times or whatever. Like you start sort of framing the song around how your lyric approach is. Um, have you ever come to those situations, though, where like after the music's written or recorded, like you'll start writing and be like, oh, shit, this actually doesn't fit the same way. Or do you, or do you have to just trust the situation and, and write to it anyway? Yeah, that was a big reason why I would start to like why now I kind of wait to um write lyrics because i'm i know that the song will change through pre-pro because like the way that we write starting with laugh tracks we write all together in a jam space and that's really important to us um to have like every personality shown through the music and with a different shade of blue we were touring so much off of laugh tracks that we just like would not get together to write and Will Putney actually was just like, I'm going on vacation and my studio is going to be empty for two weeks. Just come right. And uh, we played this hardcore in Philly and then just drove to New Jersey and started writing a different shade of blue. And like being like locked away and the only thing that you're supposed to work on is music. It put it in a context for us where it was just like it just started to click. And we just started to like, I think we wrote like 20 a different shade of blue and then it was like okay now we just pick our favorite 11 um and we've continued to do that like the ep that we did over uh the over the quarantine was 
we like rented a cabin in the woods and like wrote uh, nine songs, picked our favorite six. And um, so I really, really like working in, in that atmosphere. But when you're pumping out songs, we're not really like putting a magnifying glass on these songs. And the idea is because like you'll write and then you'll sit on the songs for a couple months. So then when it when you get back together with pre pro for pre pro, you're sitting with a producer, you yourself already have a bunch of notes that you want to change. Sure. And then the producer also has like their notes like ideas and stuff that that they bring to the table. So the songs just change so much that I'll get ideas and like I'm constantly like I'll I'll put like one liners in my notes on on my phone, but but I try not to like really build anything until I have like the final version of the song. Sure. And I realize it. So like when you're writing in the studio, you're writing to the pre-production tracks, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. Cause I, I guess in my head, I was wondering, it's like, man, if you, if the guys are actually like laying down the music, like permanent, and then you're writing lyrics to it, like that could seem a little daunting if like you want things to change or something like that. But no, if it's pre-pro, that's actually super, that's super smart. And it's awesome that you have the ability and time to like cement that stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like through, throughout writing, we've like found ways, like you kind of figure out for us, something that we always keep in mind when writing is just the live show. Uh, We know like what we like to play live and it's something like something as small as like if you listen to pop culture like the breakdowns are so long and like nobody moshes <laughs> for an entire breakdown so if you listen to like our later material like the breakdowns are much shorter and and that's strictly just because like the songs that we play live are are strictly based off of crowd participation so like people will ask us like why don't you play this and it's like because nobody cares when we do so yeah when right when writing it's like we definitely keep that in mind like we'll write a part and sometimes i'll be like we should do it like this because that could end up being like a a very big vocal part um and, and especially like just hearing things and knowing what i would do over it uh-huh and being like this needs to be like this because like I'm not going to be able to do this kind of thing. Like, I, that's like a really weird way to say it, but no, I get, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, when you're definitely starting, try like, to keep that in mind while writing. Yeah, when you've when you've toured as much and you've played this show as much, you know your audience. Like, once you start writing, it's like you know exactly the parts. Where you're like, oh, this is just this is just red meat to my base. Like, I know exactly that they're gonna like how to yeah. make this part work. Like, how to how to get the energy from the crowd. How how this will translate all of that. I totally, I totally understand. Um, Cool, man. Well, shit, I'll hit you. uh, I can hit you with the last question, which is uh, when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? That is a really good question. And I will say um, there was one, one show for Noctilus that um, felt like, it's funny. It, there's like layers to this. There's one show for Knocked Loose that felt like things were working. And two, later on, finding that behind the scenes things were 
working in a different way as well. But uh, it was Mixtape Fest in Long Island. Um, and it was like us, Every Time I Die, Incendiary, Kill Your Idols, The Movie Life. Um, Snapped. Yeah, like, and we had never played anything like this. Like, we were still very, like, DIY, like, booking our own tours, playing to, like, a hundred kids on a great day. Um, so we drove up to Long Island to do this. And I remember, like, I actually told the story the other day, so it's fresh in my memory and it's so funny. But, like, we pulled up to this festival and didn't know what to do. Um, we had never played a festival, so we waited in the general admission line with all of our gear. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like we're just in line with people that have tickets, like holding stuff. And uh, somebody at the fest walked by and they were like, are you all in Loose?" And we were like, yeah. And they were like, what are you doing? Like, come to the back. And like, took us to get our wristbands and stuff and like, just <laughs> truly had no clue. And That's um, adorable. And then I remember uh, we were so nervous. Like I, I, to this day, get nervous before every show. And Still. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. And I honestly hope that I don't ever lose that. But I remember at this show, like not only me, but the rest of my band was nervous. And like um, I remember the band before us was playing and I was watching on the balcony and like there was like maybe – like I would say 800 people there, which is like a sea of people to knock loose. Like we had never played this yeah. to this many people. And the band before us was like, this is our last song. And I remember Isaac eyes got like really wide and he stood up and took a deep breath and he was just like, <sighs> and he started like pacing because we knew that we were next. And, uh, I remember he like looked from behind a curtain and saw the people and he just went like, what are we doing here? And I was like, I was so nervous. I felt like I was going to throw up. I went outside and I like called my parents and I was just like, I'm very nervous. And like, they were just like, you got this, like calm down. And, and, uh, on broken wings was playing and, uh, they were the band before you. No, not before us. They were, they were okay. playing the festival. Later so yeah, yeah. I saw um, the singer outside and which this is like very unlike me. I'm like pretty like nervous, but I think my nerves just kind of like pushed me. I just like walked over to him and was just like, hey, man, I just want to introduce myself because uh, On Broken Wings was my MySpace song. Um, like we're playing next and we're like kind of similar like we're the only other like really heavy band on this fest like you should check us out and i remember in like his like thick boston accent he was like where are you from and i was like kentucky and he just went yeah i've been there and he just like left and i remember because like emir recon on broken wings like a full-blown riot broke out in louisville um it was like the scariest thing ever they were throwing stuff off stage it was insane. Um, yeah. So I know that that's what he was talking about. And it yeah. was like, it was like growing up seeing a scary band and then you meet them and they're super nice. It was like the opposite. Right. It's like, he was as scary as I've always thought him to be. <laughs> and like, since then we've became, we've become like, 
not like friends, but like acquaintances. And like when we see each other, we catch up. But it was like the exact kind of response you wanted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I was just like, and it kind of like pushed me because I was just like, we're going to fucking kill this. And we played and, and I told our drummer before the set. So our, like one of our more popular songs is All My Friends from the Pop Culture EP. And it just has a big vocal break at the end where I say All My Friends Are Dead. And that was already kind of catching on for us. Um, uh-huh. And I told our drummer, I was just like, if this room says that, I'm going to cry. And like, sure enough, we played it and it got like a huge pop. And I like literally remember like turning back to the drums because I felt like I was going to like start getting choked up. It was just amazing. It was like the first time we'd ever played to that many people. And like um, people were moshing and singing along. And and uh, on the other side of things, the guy that booked that show is now our booking agent. Oh, and, wow. and he wasn't at the time, but he used to do Mixtape Fest. And while we were playing, he texted... Uh, Jake Round from Pure Noise and he said you've got to check this band out so Jake Round checks us out we signed to Pure Noise while we're recording laugh tracks Jake Zimmerman who is now our booking agent reaches out and he's like you're in New Jersey I'm in uh, Long Island like can I come meet with you guys and kind of was just like I want to work with you all uh, and we've and he like was like I booked you on Mixtape Fest and then I told Jake, like, and we didn't know that he booked Mixtape Fest or anything. And we were just like, damn, sure. you've already, like, done a lot for us without even, like, working for the band. So uh, we hired him. So, like, that, I, I really would say that that show um, changed a lot for us. Absolutely. Yeah. It seems like all of the all of the pieces were falling into place in a very, like, organic way. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I dude, I appreciate hanging out with you. I'm so glad that we finally shook hands and met for the first time just a, just a couple of weeks yeah. ago in uh in in Europe. It's so funny because I don't know if I told you this when we met, but I saw you from a distance and like we have a good amount of mutual friends. Uh and I've always heard that you were like a really nice guy. So I saw you from afar and I was just like, I'm going to introduce myself to him today. Like, I can't believe we haven't met already. And today I'm going to introduce myself. And then walking by each other, you beat me to it and you came over and kind of said the same thing. Like, we have a lot of mutual friends, but we've never met. Um, but yeah, I'm glad it exactly. happened too. The, we had the same, we had legitimately the exact same thought where I was like, okay, we're on this festival. We're playing pretty much back to back on these stages. Like there's no excuse for, you know, anyway, but I remember meeting um, maybe your, your old guitar player. Uh, I think I talked to him very briefly, uh, but I was just like, I was like, yo, you guys, that was, that was sick kind of a thing. We just did yeah. like a quick hello or something like that. But I, I remember I didn't see you um, walking around, uh, but, but yeah. So fast forward i was just like this this has to officially happen we have to, yeah we have to get the the handshake in and yeah i'm glad and, uh, it did. Tur- tur- turns out you're a local too you're you're here in la so yeah let's let's record shop let's hang out thanks for doing the show man i would love to yeah thank you for having me Fires! 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 
And that is our show. Thank you so much to Brian for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now if you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where you can subscribe for as little as $3 a month to get access to that. And hey, if you were new here and uh, you enjoyed yourself, please subscribe to the show over on Spotify or Apple or wherever it is you are listening to this, leaving a positive rating review that helps oh so much. And I appreciate it a whole lot. All right. I will see you on Monday with a brand new radio hour and I hope to see you on the road. Uh, Take care. Bye bye.